Welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where we bring on interesting people to get to know them better and to understand what makes them tick and how they were able to get where they are now. Today we had on Callie Quarter, one of my best friends. Lewis, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the interview? Sure. So this interview with Callie was great. We just did it about 30 minutes ago. And I really learned a lot about her and things she's done. Callie's an extremely optimistic, happy person. And she tells us how she turned a music degree and a psychology degree into uh, a pretty interesting career, to say the least, Kyle. She started out at a bank, which didn't really connect to either of those things, and was able to transition from there into consulting at Deloitte, where she created a unique position called Sonic Capture, which she'll tell you more about about halfway through 30 minutes into the interview, uh, which is really when things got very interesting. But for a little teaser, she writes songs for corporations about their business projects, and it's extremely interesting. So with that, we'll cut to the interview and let you hear a little bit more straight from Callie herself. Thanks. Today, we have on our podcast, Callie Quarter. My first memory of Callie was when I was 10 years old. I walked out of our school gym and I saw her fitting 20 people into her Volkswagen Jetta. From then on, she's been a very frequent character in my life. Now, she is my sister-in-law's best friend and we have shared many many adventures together. We actually also have on my sister-in-law, Anne Claire Bishop. Hello, how you doing? (laughs) Yeah, so the four or the three of us actually went to the same small Christian high school in Birmingham, Alabama, and that leads directly into our first question which is how did going to a tiny Christian school affect your upbringing? My upbringing or my education? You can go for either or both. Either one. Whatever's more juicy. I mean, I'd say upbringing, it didn't affect me too much because I was actually an attendee at public schools my whole life until sophomore year of high school, which was due to a dramatic experience. But only my last three years were in that private school, and I feel like the juicier answer would be educationally. I think it would have hurt me a lot if I hadn't already been to Hoover High School and multiple like other leading up. I went to Bumpus Middle School, and I was able to do all honors at Hoover, and so it really prepared me for what I kind of lacked academically at our small school. I feel like I wouldn't have been prepared for college at all <laughs> if that was my only education. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that's interesting exciting. because I actually did the opposite of that. I went to Shades Mountain all the way up until 10th grade and then switched to Vestavia. And I feel like I got all of my education pretty much in the last two years of my high school experience. Like that's where I got so prepared kind of, for college. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and then you went to UAB, right? Yeah. Well, I would also like to say, I don't think it's all private college, like high schools that do that. I think it was ours. Like, for instance, when I went, when I joined, I actually met your brother, Kyle. I met Tyler because they made me go back a year in science because they said I was too far ahead that by the time I got to senior year, they wouldn't have a science for me. So as a sophomore, they made me go back and take a freshman science, even though I should have been in chemistry. It was all over the place. So I think it was just our school. <laughs> But yes, then I went to UAB. And why did you make that decision? Why did you decide to stay in Birmingham and go to UAB? Good question. So I graduated college in 2009 and I actually had only applied to private colleges because I actually really enjoyed my last three years. 
at Shades Mountain. And I was like, yeah, let's keep this Jesus train chugging along. And so I applied to like Stanford and a bunch of different places, got accepted, got a little bit of scholarship money, but not enough for the economic downfall of 2008 and 2009. My dad was one of the many that lost his job that year. And he's been saving up tons of money for mine and my brother's college. So we were fine, but it basically came down to one private school that had given me so much scholarship money that it was basically the same as UAB um, or UAB who had given me like half tuition and I could save money by living at home and commuting and just driving to Birmingham. So it was really a decision to stay. I didn't want to go far away. It was a mobile. So I just decided to stay close to family and live at home that first year. And I grew up going to UAB basketball games. So I was ready to be a blazer. There you go. And what did you study while you were there? I double majored in psychology and music, thinking I'd be a music therapist. But then two things happened my senior year. I, A, shadowed a music therapist, and B, dated a crazy person. And both of those things just (laughs) showed me the emotional draining, like, pool. Like, if you have a cup of sunshine, this is how I always explain it to somebody. I'm holding my cup of sunshine, and I'm continuously pouring my cup of sunshine into somebody else that has a hole at the bottom of theirs. And I just run out of sunshine. And I realized, like, it may have been a selfish decision, but I think it was also me knowing myself. And I basically realized when I was shadowing a music therapist, there were all these pictures of kids on the wall. And I was like, oh, these kids are cute. Who are they? And they were the kids that didn't make it. They had passed away. Um, and I was like, I, I just can't. <laughs> I don't think it in me to, I think if I did this career for 40 years, I wouldn't be myself at the end of it. So I went totally rogue and moved to Nashville and got a job at a bank, being a bank teller, because <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Well, that's a pretty yeah. wild story. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely uh, very, very important that you're able to try it out, you know, before making a life commitment, because so many people go into college studying something very specific and then try it and don't like it. And might not be resourceful enough to come up with something new on the spot or just take a completely different direction and see what happens. Yeah. I just YOLO'd. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that word was definitely in back then. So I'll give you credit for using it. Oh, it's still in. It's a (laughs) hundred percent in Lewis. (laughs) Yeah. You need to get with the times. (laughs) Anybody that says it's not anymore. I'm like, you're not in anymore. Wow. I've actually been in for a full month. So in the sense that I've not been outside. You're still learning. <laughs> um, to go back a little bit, though, at, your end of, at the end of your college experience, you sang at your commencement ceremony. Can you speak a little bit about how that came into being and why that happened? Yes. So UAB, and I think probably many colleges, pick somebody that is a music major, somebody that's getting a music degree to sing the national anthem and what's that called? The school song? Alma Mater. Alma Mater. Thank you, Angle. Thanks, AC. This is so shameful, but I didn't even know the UAB Alma Mater. I literally learned it like two days before I sang it at graduation. (laughs) But So they chose me and actually my best friend Micah, there were two graduations. So I got to sing at one and he got to sing at the other. It was really cool getting to sit up on stage and with all the professors, but it, it did make it complicated because I missed my letters because I, 
I was sitting on stage and so I completely missed them calling the C's and I literally just jumped in random line with like the M's for me to walk across and get my diploma, but that's fine. Was that the largest crowd you'd sang in front of at that point? Uh, like yes, it definitely was. Yeah, it was packed out all of Bartow Arena. And I think it probably is the biggest I've sang in front of still today. That's pretty cool. I've not so sang in front of that many people. people. Yeah. Uh, so now kind of on to the, the Nashville side of things. Yeah. So you get done with college and you go to Nashville, you join a bank. And that seemed like kind of like a placeholder in your life, like some constant while you were trying to figure out where you wanted to go, you know? So how did you move forward with your artistic pursuits while you were in Nashville? Cause that's what you moved there for, right? Was to like get a career in music. Kind of, not really. I think if I actually had moved there with that as my intention, I would have tried a little harder, but you know, <laughs> if things naturally fell into place, I would have totally loved it. But I got a job as a bank teller and I actually really loved it. It was like one of those things that when I was little, I used to pretend to be a bank teller. And so I always wanted to try it when I actually grew up. And so I think that's where I defaulted to when I realized I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. But I did meet a bunch of people. It's true what they say about Nashville. Like everybody that lives there is a musician. And so I met this group of friends and we'd have so much fun. And we'd always end up once we're, you know, bottles deep, we're on the piano or with a guitar out by the fire and just like always singing. And one of those guys, his name was Sam and he played the piano and we'd just always be jamming. He got a roommate off Craigslist and that guy played the guitar and he came over to my house one day wanting to write a song. And the first time we ever did, it was literally magical. And that song was called Moon in the Sea. And so we started a band and called ourselves that. Sam was the pianist and the guitarist and I wrote all the songs and so we went around and like played at coffee shops and things we played um, a show at Good People Brewery in Birmingham and Seeds Coffee a couple times so that was fun but I didn't really I didn't really pursue a musical career for real I was just having fun keeping the art alive mm -hmm. so then what happened uh, so you're kind of doing that on the side kind of for fun enjoying it but not expecting it to turn into anything how long did you stay at the bank and did that kind of because i don't know like your life story as well as kyle and ac do so i'm kind of the one not actually sure where where these questions go so <laughs> how long do you stay at the bank do you just be a, do you just be a teller and then you got another job or you got promoted within the bank or what kind of comes next yeah so usually you're a teller and then you're a lead teller and then you're a banker and then you're, you're a manager teller. and like blah blah yeah so I was just a regular old teller, bottom of the totem pole, and I was actually working at the bank for a couple of years, I think like two and a half years maybe, but I started doing everything, like, and this was life lesson number one. If you do everything without asking for what you deserve for that effort, like, people will just let you do it. So I was literally doing everything. I was doing the job of the lead teller. Um, I was the vault teller, so I was uh, managing all the cash levels and shipments to and from the bank. I was maintaining the ATM and I started doing things the manager should be doing. I started doing the audit, started doing everything literally and feeling like I was carrying my branch on my shoulders 
So I went to my boss and asked him, I basically told him that he had to give me a raise. Like, this is ridiculous. And um, he laughed at me. <laughs> Which you How long had you been working there at that point? Like two you and walked... a half years. Okay, so a long time, not just like three months. You're like, all right, I'm, I'm hot stuff. Give me more money. It's like, okay, yeah. I've been here <laughs> two and a half years. Like... I know how to do the whole operation. Yeah, well, and I'm doing stuff that isn't my job. Like, I'm literally doing the lead teller's job and your job. Like, and there were uh, bank customers that actually thought that me and this other girl were the managers because we were the only ones that knew answers to things. And our bosses would come to us and ask us questions because they never knew the answers. So he laughed at me. <laughs> and I think, you know, this was out to all my sunshine, bubbly little personalities out there because I think he just couldn't look past me being silly sometimes. And I think that I should never let that go. So screw him. And I literally informed him that if he was not going to promote me, that I would be finding another job and that he was going to miss me when I was gone. And I don't think he believed me. <laughs> um, but I had a friend that her name was Kristen. And she like changed my life for forever. I actually met her through a church in Nashville. And she was part of my group of friends that we did music all the time. And she was a recruiter for Deloitte. <clears throat> And she came into the bank one day and she was like, and this was right after that had happened. And she was like, I set you up an interview. It's technology. I'd never even heard of Deloitte. I was like, Deloitte? Couldn't, I didn't know what was happening. But I go, um, I didn't even want to. She was like, just go for me. I was like, okay. Well, I go to the interview, fall in love with the people. And I don't even know anything about this company, but I already love it. And she tells me, she's like, just so you know, like, you were the last interview of the day and they told me they already chose someone. So if you don't get it, like it isn't you, they just, they already really love somebody else and I'll keep finding it, interviews for you so you can get out of the bank. And I was like, okay, thanks, no problem. And then she calls me about 20 minutes later. She's like, I don't know what you did or said in your interview, but they just called me telling me that they completely changed my mind and offered you the job on the spot. That's crazy. <laughs> and I was like, heck yes. So I literally went in the very next day and quit the bank <laughs> <laughs> and my guy friends thought that it was crazy because it wasn't actually a full-time position. It was a contracting position. So I started at Deloitte as temp basically. And that is how I left the bank. Did you, uh, you feel had like, go ahead Kyle. You had like a few months there where you were a temp and you, you always had the opportunity, right? To get that full-time job or something like that and you had to you had to prove yourself and then you ended up doing it yeah that's correct and i think i should have mentioned one of the reasons i didn't want to go to the interview at first was because it was technology <laughs> and <laughs> i used to make my brother plug in my super nintendo which you're probably familiar with the fact that it's just a power cable and a video signal cable so that's kind of like why would this girl be going in mm. for a technology interview but it was a contracting position for this tech job and the deal was I had a six month contract. So the deal is you have that six months to learn, do your job, impress somebody. Hopefully they either extend your contract at the end of that six months so you can stay on or hire you at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple other contractors with the same job as mine. And so I was just hoping for them to extend it. But all praises be within like a couple months, I think it was like a little two months, I think. They actually paid money to my contracting agency to break the contract and hire me full time. So I only had to be a temp for a little while. Wow. Which was Can you go back a little bit and explain what exactly, I mean, you're saying it was a technology job. What were you doing? Like, 
where you're a consultant or a junior consultant or just doing like a specific aspect of a specific project or what was the job? Yeah, that's a very good question. So it wasn't consulting at all. So Deloitte has all these different umbrellas and I call it big daddy Deloitte, but that's where the consultants are and that's mm -hmm. where the main business is and where all the money is made. And then there's Deloitte services, which all big, you already know this, but all big companies out there, they save a lot of money by having internal technology services so that they don't have to pay somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I was actually part of Deloitte services at first and literally just part of like ITS kind of. So my job was something called a VNOC, which was a video network operations center. And we managed the video and audio bridges for Deloitte and their clients around the world. So all of Deloitte's member firms, we would dial the IP addresses for the videos and connect them and connect audios and basically running really fancy Zoom meetings with really expensive polycom technology. Back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, but Hermitage, which was in Nashville, the Hermitage office is one of the only offices that Deloitte actually owns. The other one is Deloitte University in Westlake, Texas, but it's where a lot of our tech leaders are and it's where our global CIO Larry Quinlan is. And so they get a lot of fun new tech before mm -hmm. any of the other offices. And so one of the fun new pieces of tech they got a few years ago was called Prism, P-R-Y-S-M. And I was so impressed with it. The first time I saw it, I was like, where is Robert Downey Jr.? Mm -hmm. He's got to be here somewhere. <laughs> and I asked to be trained on it. And I became one of the first SME subject matter experts of that technology in Deloitte globally. So then I was helping lead trainings and they were flying me places. And that is how I first saw the Deloitte greenhouse, which I was my next step on my career path. Get into that then. Okay. So basically the tech is a cloud-based collaborative tool. You can log in from anywhere in the world. If you have a Prism machine or if you have a computer, you can join from the web-based app from Google Chrome. I started hopping around to different greenhouses. There's one in New York and the one in Chicago and leading trainings. And I just thought these places were so cool and the people were so cool and what they were doing was so cool, which was basically they're experts in human design and design thinking and facilitation and they use all this cool new tech to bring meetings to life and um, I came back to Nashville my office and found the senior manager in charge of that team and I was like hey my name's Callie what do I need to do to get on your team because I want to work in a greenhouse and he was like slow your roll whoa cowgirl and I was like but seriously what do I do and long story short I ended up there <laughs> in DC my boss walked up to me one day and was like Hey, would you relocate if I promoted you? And I was like, hell yeah, where are you sending me? And he goes, DC. And I was like, all right. The next thing I know, AC is helping me pack up my house and we're going to DC on January 1st. So I think stepping back a little bit, like you go from not being able to figure out how to plug something in to leading these trainings and to like all these really smart people, like you're, you're queen of this new technology. Like that's a big learning curve. How did you go about tackling that? And, and what did you learn from it? That is a great question. <laughs> I would just say anybody out there that has a brain, you can teach yourself anything. I think my biggest takeaway was that I went to college for two things. One, to get a sheet of paper giving me access to jobs that other people can't get and be 
to learn how to learn. So like when I started my music major, I didn't know anything about music. They literally, I got a call from some lady at the UAB music department and she was like, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but like you need to take not even music theory 101, you need to like back up and take fundamentals that's an elective for non-music major people because on this test you got a, I think I got an eight. And I was like, oh, that's great, eight out of 10? And she was like, no, eight out of 100. (laughs) (laughs) I literally knew nothing about music. Um, So the fact that in four years I could get a degree in that, I think it just, I mean, I haven't used music theory since I graduated. Like it taught me how to learn though. It was like learning a whole new language. And that's exactly what I did at Deloitte. I didn't know anything about tech and I actually bought technology for dummies, the book. (laughs) Just technology that exists. Just technology. One big word. Yeah. Technology for dummies. What does that even cover? Um, And I (laughs) like one-on-one it starts with like, it starts with like defining things like CPU and HDMI and like teaching you which types of cables carry which types of things. So like, HDMI video and sound, USB carries touch. So like you can't control your screen unless you also plug in that. So like it starts very small <laughs> and then builds because it's pretty high level. And you have to learn the alphabet first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just, I literally read the tech book I bought every morning, every night, and I would take notes and I would read those every morning and every night. And I didn't understand it for quite a while. It's like you're reading a different language. But the thing is, is that our brains just, click eventually like mm-hmm. one day I woke up and it wasn't a different language anymore I honestly don't even know what happened but one day I just understood it and I also had a very patient trainer <laughs> who we're still friends to this day but it helped also having that like tutorship through it like I could mm-hmm. go to him with any question I ever had but long story long I it wasn't easy yeah. <laughs> I definitely I studied a lot I remember seeing all of your notebooks. They were, she would go like, normal people will have, you know, a couple of notebooks lying around. You'll fill up like 10 pages, move to the next one, like find mm-hmm. a cute one, whatever. Her notebooks were front and back. Every single line is filled, like scribbles everywhere. Like it, I think that it clicked one day for you only because you were working so hard. Like, and I also do think, I'm glad you mentioned your trainer because I think that you were really lucky to have people it probably wasn't just one person but like in every job you've had in Deloitte it wasn't like the bank where they were laughing at you when you asked for a promotion and Deloitte they like see like a little seed in everyone and people that are even right above you want to like nurture it and like help you grow and I think that you were inspired by those people and it made you want to learn like even if it was something like crazy and intimidating I just like, I'd never seen you be passionate about something like that other than music. I mean, the only other time I've seen you like with full notebooks and like a passionate like outlook was when you're writing songs or whatever. So I think that they, they kind of curate, they, instead of, you know, not seeing your potential, they nurtured it. Even if you weren't technically qualified, now you're qualified, overqualified. Overqualified. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. So true. So that makes me want to ask, uh, what do you, if this interview was for this tech position and you kind of showed up, you know, just out of nowhere, like on very short notice, what do you think you did in that interview that really impressed them? Like, what did you have to share that really sold them on your ability to be this tech educator, this person facilitating 
all these new technologies when you had like what it sounds like zero background up before that point? No, yeah, definitely zero background. And that's a great question too. I think I would just remind everybody when going into interviews that only two things matter. I think everybody gets the most important things and they always go in there acting like there's somebody that they're not because they're trying to be perfect on paper and they're trying to like fit all of these little holes. But what I've realized is that that job that you just read all about, they don't need somebody that fits every perfect little thing. They don't need you to do every single bullet point on their job offer that you read. It's like they need to know that you can learn how to do it and that you'll do it well and that you'll do it just as well as anybody else. And so what differentiates you really, I said that word really weird, <laughs> but what makes you different than everybody else who maybe does have all of that experience is your personality and going into those interviews being your one true 100% authentic self. I mean, and I think what the bank thought was a bad thing about me, which is my happiness and my bubbliness and my sunshininess, I think that that made me really different, especially in a technology world, because A, there's not a lot of women in tech. And B, I mean, if you walk into a huge office that's tech, you're going to see everybody basically is the same and they're all men. And they're all like, I mean, you know, I'm going to stop here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what really differentiates you is, is you just being yourself and being comfortable. Showing them what makes you different Mm -hmm. and then convincing them that even if you don't have the background, that you're smart enough to figure it out and driven enough to. That's great. Thank you. So you moved to DC, like they relocate you you and you're still in the same you're in the same role as you had been right Callie uh no Mm -mm. so I was the role for yeah 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 so I was in that video conferencing role and that's where I became the prism technologies me of the building and the guy that I had been that I mentioned earlier that had trained me and was kind of my mentor through all this he had gotten promoted and joined the greenhouse team before me and he had been managing that tech in my building. So I saw that as my opportunity to step up, which is another thing that I learned you have to do is just like, you can't sit around waiting for the bank to give you a promotion that you deserve. You need to go ask for it. (laughs) And so I asked my bosses, I was like, Hey, you know, he's, he's moving to Westlake. He's going to work at DU. I want to step in and, and take his job of managing this tech for our, office and my bosses told me no both my managers it wasn't really a healthy work environment i'd say in that specific team and i know that the only reason they said no was because i was their hardest worker on that team and they wanted me there at 5 a.m managing all the calls and ims and everything alone i mean it was basically a glorified call center and i could as one person take care of it all myself from 5 a.m to 8 a.m and nobody else could and they didn't want me to be doing something else because you're good where you were were for for their purposes. Yeah. So I wasn't taking that anymore. I learned from the bank. And so I literally, my managing director, which basically it's like little person, me, lots of other little people, senior little people, then managers, then like senior managers, then more important senior managers, then there's managing directors and there's partners and principals. So that's kind of like from bottom to top but they had an open door policy, they called it, mm-hmm. where you're supposed to be able to go to your PPMDs and talk to them. 
So I literally did. I just went upstairs to my managing director and I was like, hey, so he's leaving. He's going to Westlake. I'm the best man for the job and here's why. And I just pitched myself to him and he was like, yeah, I totally agree. I'll let your bosses know that that's what you'll be doing. <laughs> and they were not happy with me at all. And they informed me that I needed to do both jobs. So I started working about 12 hours a day. So I was being very stubborn, which is kind of going back to me double majoring because I was doing that to be stubborn too. But I would basically show up at 5 a.m., do my day job. When I got off at that around 2, I'd work from like 2 to 5 or 6 being the present technology person. And that's what I was doing when I gained his attention. And he's the one, the managing director, that came to me in the hall and was like, hey, if I promoted you, would you relocate? Now I go to D.C., that job, I finally got into the greenhouse, which is what I wanted. And so I was, that role was me being their technology supporter. I was their tech girl. So the greenhouse was in Deloitte, they're a space, and they're also a team of people. So we have these really, really beautiful spaces. I kind of describe them, if you picture Google and that funny movie with- uh, The internship. Yeah, yeah. If you picture Google, like little robots rolling around and like cool technology, colors, lights, projectors and you go in there and the whole idea is to use all of your senses so smell touch hearing everything even taste and just have the craziest most different meeting ever and the idea is to accelerate breakthrough so there's tons of science behind everything they do but my job was to be their tech girl so I got to play with all the robots and things and help them when things would break and I did that for about eight, seven, eight months. And then you got a new job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my first three years at Deloitte, I had a different job every year. And that's, and that's uncommon. I'd say it's uncommon unless, <laughs> unless you're doing that on purpose. Deloitte really allows you to make your own career path. So I kind of did that to myself. I went out of my way to learn that technology. I went out of my way to talk to my boss about working in the greenhouse. And then once I was the tech girl, <clears throat> two things I think are the reason. So my next job that I switched to was actually joining the team that I was the tech girl for. So now I joined the greenhouse lab delivery team. And so I'd say if you are pursuing it, it's not that unlikely. I think you could. Okay. Well, it lets you make your own career path. But I don't personally know anybody else that's done that. So I guess it is a little rare. <laughs> Do you think it happened because you are competitive or because you were really inspired or like, what do you think is the reason why, like when you came into that job, you wanted to go straight up when, when a lot of people were sitting in the same job in that unhealthy call center for years, you know? Was it like because you started there and you were unhappy there and you wanted to get out? Like was every single move for a different reason or do you think that you had an end goal? I definitely didn't have an end goal. I've been completely going rogue, but that's a great question. I think if I were to psychoanalyze myself, it's just that I really enjoy learning and I'm really curious. Like I didn't ask to get trained up on this technology so that this all what happened to me. I didn't even know that this was going to be the next hip tech. I didn't even know that learning it would land me leading trainings and getting a new job. Like I was just curious about it. I thought it was cool. <laughs> like it was me being a nerd. And I think it's also me not being content being 
perfect. Like I think that once I'm perfect at my job, that means it's time to move on because I always want to be growing. And so if something isn't hard, if I'm perfect at everything, it's time for me to move on. Like I think the fact that I so quickly had been the person that somehow now was like on the manager calls and somehow was the only person that knew all the right answers. And I literally even made a training guide for everybody because everybody kept coming to me. Like that means it's time to move on. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So it's like curiosity and also just the desire to grow. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. This transition to your, your newest job came out of like, was it necessity to continue to do the sonic captures or which is one of the most interesting things I think about you is this idea of the sonic capture, which we'll get into, but you had to join it in order to keep doing the sonic captures, right? Yeah, kind of. I definitely think that's one of the main reasons. I think that's one of the, the top main reasons that they offered me the job to, to switch over the other. Okay. So <sighs> I, if I could back up a little, I guess it'd be, well, I don't know. Do you want to just stick to Sonic Capture? You can back, back up. up. Back up. Give us the context. Just to make sure that we hit Sonic Capture for sure. Yeah. Okay. So on the Curiosity Train, I was their tech girl and I realized they weren't using a lot of technology. And so I straight up asked them. I like befriended them and asked them why they weren't using technology. And they were like, well, we don't really know how. We don't even know what we have, blah, blah. And I, they were like, if you can figure it out and tell us what to use and how, we'll do it. But then I realized I didn't even know what they did. So then I was like, yeah, totally. But I don't really understand what y'all do. So can you like invite me to meetings and calls and like invite me to labs and like, let me see. And so they did. And I think that's where like, I accidentally fell in love with that because the psychology side of me came in. It's all about people we, all of these meetings, they're really, really expensive meetings and they're for C-suite people. So like CEOs, CIOs of huge companies, like I've met the CEO of Nestle and like the CIO of Southwest Airlines, like all this stuff that's just like so cool. And I started contributing to those things. And I think that's kind of one of the ways that Sonic Capture was born was I finally understood what they were doing And one of the things I saw them doing in these labs was graphic capture, which a lot of companies have, but it's where an artist will sit in a meeting and in our case, an all day lab to two day long. And instead of taking notes or typing notes, they're actually drawing and synthesizing what they're hearing and writing it down. And so at the end of the day, you have a beautiful art instead of meeting notes. And some of the science behind that is like, I don't remember the exact, but I think around 70 or 60% of our population um, are visual learners. So it's like way easier for them to look at a drawing and totally remember everything that happened that day versus reading a three page paper. And when I was sitting in these watching them, I was like, huh, I think I could do this with music. (laughs) And so one of the managing directors that's in charge of the DC greenhouse, we were pretty close. And I went into his office and we were just like spitballing around and brainstorming. We were just being crazy. And like, I literally told him, I was like, I think I can do that with music. Like it'd be different, but like, I think I could sit in an all day meeting and write a song in real time. And then before they leave, sing it to them. And then that's the meeting notes. And you're not sitting there recapping the day, like, oh, right, we started with this, we did this, then we did this. And Just, it's boring. And forgettable. And then here's our roadmap, here's where we're going, here's our vision for 2020. 
like instead I sing it all to them and I sing their own words and he's like yeah let's try it out and so I literally still can't believe they let me do this but we had a pro bono lab one Saturday for Dog Tag Bakery actually which is one of Obama's favorite little spots in Georgetown and they let me try it out and it was an interesting crew because Dog Tag Bakery well first off what do you think it sounds like <laughs> what do you think Dog Tag Bakery does a military bread making facility they bake <laughs> they, they just like make yeah. baked goods that people eat i mean yeah that's a good guess when i heard it i thought they made uh, gourmet dog treats <laughs> but yeah so anywho what made the audience so interesting for that being the first time was that they are half bakery like coffee shop and they're also half program for veterans helping them get back into the workforce helping them with ptsd helping their family members blah blah it's really amazing but a lot of people on the board that were there in this lab are our veterans and like we had a a lot of people there that just their expressions when I brought out my ukulele were priceless. They were like, "What is happening?" They're just like these stereotypical tough military guys, right? Yeah, like, um, retired military guys <laughs> that want to like help out the veterans and yeah, it was pretty priceless. Show up um, with a huge smile at an instrument and never seen anything like it before. Oh, they were so confused. They were skeptical, but at the end of it, a lot of them were crying. They were laughing, they were crying. A four-star army general came up to me after and a um, retired director of West Point and crying and asked if they could hug me. It was so powerful. Was so it an emotional that, we, base? Like, was the plans that y'all came up with emotionally uh, charged at all? Like, what, can you get that into one was, what? Yeah. Yeah, that one was very emotionally charged. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was, they were kind of, they, I don't know if you guys have even seen them, but they have dog tag bakery treats in every Starbucks across America now. And wow. so they were talking about how they grow, you know, do they want to pursue growth? Do, do they want to pursue expansion? And the whole time they wanted to honor Father Curry, who was their founder's vision. And he's the one that brought most of them into the company. And he had just recently passed away. And so it was a lot um, of them honoring him. And I... I gave him a piece of the song to honor him. So it was very emotional and probably the most emotional one I've ever done. But it's actually quite common that people cry. <laughs> it's wild. It's, it's people's goals now. They're like, okay, Callie, go make somebody cry. <laughs> Just because it's also like sometimes when you're in this really long meeting, you do have a breakthrough, but it's not good. Like sometimes you realize like, whoa, I'm at the bottom of a mountain right now and I got a lot to do and a little bit of time to do it. And you're like, oh. and sometimes it's just like zooming out and seeing what all you've done. I don't know. Putting music to something is just so powerful. Like I've seen people cry for all different reasons too. Just like being proud of what they've done or like feeling peace about the hard journey ahead or crying from laughter. <laughs> So it's, it's actually more seldom that somebody doesn't cry. Wow. Unless I'm like trying to be funny. <laughs> so this really kind of caught on right away. Uh, you have someone gives you approval to just go for it and it goes really well. So what happens after that first one? Because you kind of went from you do it for these army guys and now you're doing it for everybody you can. 
Yeah. Um, so, and that kind of goes to Kyle's question was, I was still the tech girl. So I did a couple more, but they wanted to fly me out to Deloitte University to do one for one of our clients. And there was a lab, which is what we call our day long meetings in my greenhouse. And so I couldn't because I was tech girl and it caused a huge hullabaloo. Like they're demanding that I come and then they're having, they had to fly somebody up to do my job so I could go do this and write a song and it was nuts. And so I think that was a main contributor to them offering me the job to switch over and join the delivery team. But I did a few still as tech girl, but it was more difficult. And then I just started doing it much more often. And somehow other people in Deloitte found out about me. I still honestly have no idea how, but I've been contacted multiple times to like do it at these huge events, which were not nearly as big as Bartow Arena, but they're really, really cool people. So one of my favorite moments probably ever of Sonic Capture was the past two years. So the first year that I got to do this, I got to go and sing at the Executive Women in Tech Connect. Oh, that's uh, awesome. First time I did it was in 2019. And it's this huge conference that Deloitte puts on for executive women that are CIOs of their company. So it's like leaders in Deloitte, but it's also like the CIO of uh, Sony or like Lancome or like whoever. Um, and it's so cool just like getting to be in the same room as them and like hear what they're doing. The thing that blew my mind when I was asked was that the one before that in 2018, they had closed out the show with Michelle Obama. <laughs> and so when they asked me to come, I was like, yeah, will Michelle be there? And they were like, no, not this year. Um, but I still can't believe that like the next year was, I was the one closing it out. And That's so amazing. I put um, in my song, I was like, we miss you, Michelle. Michelle Obama, that is <laughs> awesome. So you had to, uh, she had to hear the whole thing to be able to write the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, they were a two-day thing. And so I basically attend the first day. They all think I'm like an analyst note taker. <laughs> and then I go and I write it that night for the most part. And then the next day I hop in and out as I just like add new things so that they can tell that it was done in real time. Is that a nerve-wracking process? Because, I mean, it's kind of like, all right, you got 48 hours and you got to have something ready to go when things pop up. Like, let's go for it. Yeah, it was extremely nerve-wracking at first because, and we actually kept it a secret, and we still keep it a secret for shock value, but at first we kept it a secret because I never knew if I was going to have a song at the end of it. So, oh, so I they, was extremely... Just in case, you were going to back out if there's like, this was so dull, like, I, I got nothing. Yeah, or just like, I couldn't, like, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. And so we always, I always had an out until that first Executive Women in Tech Connect conference. That was my wow. very first time that I didn't have an out. And so I was very stressed. <laughs> yeah. How many Sonic Captures have you completed? I do not know. That's a good question. But I'd say definitely like 25-ish or more. The That's weirdest thing is writing a song and, and not ever being able to show anybody ever again. Well, do they, do you just like send it home with the team to like re-listen to it? Like they, like the art capture, they can just, you know, re-look at the painting. Can they just like stream your song? Yeah, we do. And the lyrics and the video. Do you like fall back on the same strategy? Do you have like a structure that you just kind of tend to apply things to or it's like an original composition? So it's mainly an original composition every single time, which I think was part of the stress in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I did fall into a flow because I realized... <clears throat> Like, no client will ever, 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 ever know 
if I reuse chords mm -hmm. or Almost like a melody one person, like an executive chord. switches companies, you know, like, but that doesn't even matter. Like one person's like, oh, this is similar to the last one. Like, yeah, <laughs> but like, like how would that, I mean, once you're in a C-suite position, it's kind of rare that you would just jump. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's not too rare. Actually, it would be, it would be very rare for them to be in the White Lab with Cali Quarter yeah, it would, two times. Yeah, it would be one of the least of their worries. <laughs> Cali's ukulele song had the similar chord. Nestle <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. like. Sounds good. Like she's sampling her old music. Yeah, well, I mean, seriously, a C suite officer will usually be there for four to five years. And so if I'm still here in four to five years writing songs, then I'm disappointed in myself for not perfecting my job sooner. <laughs> how, how are you gonna train someone to uh, to follow you up? Because now these people are gonna, how are you gonna train a replacement or an apprentice? You gotta find some senior in music theory at UAB and be like, listen, and you just start taking public speaking classes and do extemporaneous speaking, join Toastmasters, but bring your ukulele every time. I don't, how do you? Well, that's the tough thing, right? Like yeah. I, cause it's not just writing a song. It's also knowing the business. So it need to be somebody that has the ability to write songs, can think in poems and can perform it live without being nervous and knows the business. So they can actually sit there and follow along with what's happening and actually synthesize what's happening enough to take eight hours and make it mm -hmm. into a three to four and a half minute song. Like that's kind that's of long. The combined that's... skill set. I don't think I know a single person that could do that. Like, that's what you got to so start someone right now. I know one person that can do that. <laughs> is it Callie? <laughs> I think that that is an interesting point is that like you might be the only person in the world that does this. So like what do your coworkers think about it? And like how do you, I don't know, like internalize the fact that you created this really cool sonic capture that makes people cry? That could be a new college major at some like specific school. You could create the or Sonic Capture program. See, we need to start my own business over here. I don't know. I, really I, definitely... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I definitely am the only person doing it and that's cool. I also just think probably my coolest thing that I internalize is that I work for a company that allows me to do something like this. Like every time I do it, I have this cute little office place that I write in at DC and I can see the Capitol building and I just sit there all day writing a song looking at DC monuments like I just can't even believe that I have a job that lets me do that and I think that's the thing that just still doesn't seem real to me is every day I do it and I'm like man I just got paid to sit here and look at the Capitol building and write a song. <laughs> it's pretty great. So what kind of uh, other responsibilities do you still have? Because you're, it's, you're not doing this every single day if you've only done it 25 times. Are you still? Yeah, so that's actually not my official job at all. So on paper, I have a totally, I have a whole job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my whole job is we have usually three to four person lab teams that it's like a six to eight week process. And we start with whatever our company's problem is. We research them. We research the market. We research their competitors, what did they do well to succeed? What did they do wrong when they failed? And bring all that in and strategically design that one or two to three day long session. And so my job is like handling that. I'll help with research, queen of logistics, which isn't the fun part, 
but also interviews. So that's the fun part for me because they always spill the tea. But being on interviews, helping lead them, taking notes, synthesizing interviews to pull out the key themes and like quotes to let them see what's going on behind the curtain. And then the funnest part probably is the content creation. So it falls on me to make everything super pretty. And so it's kind of like a graphic design role in there as well. And then day of the lab is really like a show. So my music degree actually did prepare that for me a little bit, but it's like lights, camera, action. Like that's my job on lab day is making the show fun. 25 <laughs> trick pony. You don't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's funny. I sent you our questions beforehand and you said that it was, it was weird to see your life laid out like that on paper. And it was weird for me to write it because, you know, I've really grown up with you like over the years. I don't know how long we've, we've been around each other, but to, to hear about all this is really, really crazy to me. I'm, I'm very proud At of you. At least a decade. Thank yeah. you, Kai. I love you so much. It really is so nuts. I'm proud of you too, though, because when I met you, you were a little in. <laughs> I was 10, apparently, from the story. Ten-year-old Kyle, that's a different type of Kyle, isn't it? <laughs> we can do it. We can do the, the Kyle interview and start, start from the very beginning when we do the Kyle interview episode. You know, let's bring this, we should bring the same team together for the, the Kyle interview episode. Yes, 100%. I can bring photos. Can you do photos on a yeah, we can, or we can, we can at least bump them on the Instagram post to go with it. Uh -huh. Perfect. Perfect. So I think we can get into some more fun questions, some quick questions. What are your favorite books? And we've heard that you, you like to read to escape. You don't, you don't like the nonfiction stuff. So you tell us a little, maybe, maybe a couple <laughs> fiction books that you've loved. Was that Anne Claire's wisdom? Maybe in the magic genre, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, maybe in the magic genre. <laughs> no, you know what was happening? All right, like, we got... Kyle said, he had this, this is his first question on this little section, it says favorite books, and then he almost deleted it, and he was like, oh, she doesn't like to read, and I was like, Kyle, oh, Callie loves to read. <laughs> Have you seen your bookshelf? Like, do you even, Callie, like, she loves reading, but you like to read yeah. for different, you like mm. self-help books, and like, brain books, and like, learning and she learns a lot during work so when she's doing her downtime reading Callie is much more successful than I am <laughs> in true. every professional pursuit that she has gone after I'm so also older so that's dumb and count true. um also though you've been at how you've seen my bookshelf you've literally visited me in DC I guess he thought it was a decoration or I'm just gonna be funny Callie what what are your favorite <laughs> books well, we definitely have to start with Harry Potter, obviously. Would you believe we have that on our notes? <laughs> <laughs> we have a follow-up question for when you're ready, but get into Harry Potter a little bit. <laughs> no, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. I just love Harry Potter. I wasn't allowed to read it as a kid because, you know, obviously from a Southern Baptist household, Satan wrote it. <laughs> so... <laughs> One of the first things I did my sophomore year was my first year not living at home. And one of the first things I did was read all Harry Potter books in the safety of my dorm room <laughs> and rest. You were so rebellious. <laughs> my first so rebellion was reading Harry Potter. Honestly, yeah, I think it was. I think then I you went full YOLO from that point and never looked back. Yeah. Yes. YOLO. So the Harry Potter question, if you couldn't guess, is what house are you? 
<laughs> on or, Slytherin. Interesting. Well, you are. I I thought that there was a little bit of Kyle? debate going on about. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> I forgot about Kyle. You are not about to put me on blast like this. I, I forgot. Like, this is how much. This is how much you know. I love you. Is that I only see you as a Slytherin, and I know that you reached the test recently and got something else that you don't want to admit. But I still see you as a Slytherin. So. Yeah, I do too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I just relate so hard with Slytherin and I've been Slytherin for so long and my cat's name is Severus and you know you I built just, a life around I <laughs> built a life around this identity it's too late <laughs> I, the sorting hat has decided past Thanksgiving like literally I've been Slytherin for what eight years or something why did you retest it what's I the point because I had to, to, to retake my Patronus and my other friend did it, so then I did it. But I knew I'd get Slytherin, like it didn't matter. And then you nope, didn't. Mattered. <laughs> then I blocked out from there. <laughs> Don't know what happened. Um, that's um, Anything else have... besides Harry Potter, real quick? Any other shout outs? Well, I feel like we can't leave them hanging, so I'm just going to tell you I got Ravenclaw. <laughs> I think it's not a bad one at all. I think that that is the other one that's most like you. Because uh, what are we talking about right now? Books. Ravenclaws love to read. Dang. Right? I don't know. <laughs> Books. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> We're treading thin water, my knowledge. Anyway, you're a Slytherin yeah, with Yeah, Ravenclaws have to answer a riddle. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm a... I'm still say Slytherin. <laughs> uh-huh. You mentioned the Woit University a few times, and I've heard, and you've talked to me about it before. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what it is? Yeah, it is this really magical place. We call it the Disney World for corporate adults, but that actually makes it sound a little bit cooler than it is, but it is pretty awesome. It's this basically conference center slash hotel they own all this land in Westlake and you drive through like farmland there's animals there used to be a camel uh because the camel was there when they purchased the land the camel has recently passed so sad but you go there and (laughs) just as you'd think because it's still at university but that's where they hold training classes and so usually like first year consultants will get to go to consultant training there or whatever training they're having it's usually for our PPMDs and their clients, but also it's pretty common to go to a training there. And so you stay there. It's really, really nice hotel, like super trendy and awesome and huge conference rooms. And then they have this like pretty little lake and you walk around and probably the best part about it is that once you get there, it's a cash free playground. So everything's free. I mean, they have a Starbucks in there and you just, the first time I went, I felt like I was robbing the joint because I, you just walk up into Starbucks and you order whatever you want and you take whatever snacks you want and you just walk away. Like it's completely free. Everything's free. And they have like all these snack rooms on every floor and they're all themed and they all have different snacks from all over the world. Like the Atlanta room has Coca-Cola and like the Japan room has like Japanese snacks. I don't know. It's crazy. And you just go and you just get really fat and it's great. <laughs> well, other than the snacks, like I may have missed uh, the main point of it, but what is the main point of the 
university? Like what, what do you get sent there to do other than eat free stuff? Mainly the eating (laughs) to learn. (laughs) It's, it's mainly a training facility and also just a really cool place to bring your top clients to to showcase what we have, show that we're on the leading edge. They redo it like every two or four years. I don't remember, but it's always new. They have cool things there. They have this like new robot there that's like AI and you can talk to her and you can ask her questions and she can kind of guide you through. And it's just like, it's such a happy place. I don't know. Everybody there is so smiley. Maybe it's the free food, but it's just a really great place to be. (laughs) What's the, what is that AI named? Uh, Her name's Dot. Oh, I thought it was Callie. (laughs) May Wow, you know so much about me. This is freaking me out. They were supposed to... Okay, when I was <laughs> when I was working in tech, I was at Deloitte University at the greenhouse there. They have a greenhouse there. And I was there learning for my new job. So this was like when I first got the greenhouse tech girl job. And the, they invited this dude to dinner. I'd never met him. His name was William. And he was a little bit late to dinner. But all the guys were being such bros. They all had like whiskey glasses and steak and it was all per- like perfect and it was all expensive. And I literally, all I wanted was a cheeseburger without the bun and a glass of wine. And I completely went rogue, even though they were being all fancy. <laughs> like, just got wine and a bunless cheeseburger. And when this guy shows up that they invited, he looks at me. And I think he's going to like make fun of me or laugh at me or something. And I was like, I see you are on my plate, and I know that if you don't get what I got, you're going to regret it. And he looks at the waitress and is like, yeah, I'll have whatever she's having. And like literally did that. We're sitting there talking, and I did not realize at this time that he's my boss's boss or boss. <laughs> so he's like the only person that's like right under that managing director person. He's right under him, so he's above everybody else. And that is how I met him, and I did not know, and he was working on this project for Deloitte University to have this robot lady. And I went back a couple weeks later to my hermitage office and I was actually having like a pretty crappy week. Like I said, this is the team that wasn't the healthiest. I still hadn't moved to DC yet. So I was still like with my video conferencing team. It was just a bad week. And somebody called me and they were like, how are you doing? And I was like, honestly, like not the best today. And they were like, well, do you want some good news? And I was like, I would love some good news. And they were like, I was just in a meeting with William, which was this guy. They're like, he just presented this multi-million dollar project that just got approved. And he said he wanted the robot's personality to have this girl's personality that he just met a couple weekends ago and that he wanted to name her Callie. (laughs) It was me. And so the project that got approved was this like multi-million dollar project called Project Callie. And I didn't believe them. So they like added me to it. And it really was. So Deloitte has a Project Callie. That's a robot. But somebody way up top totally nixed it and said they wanted her to be named Dot. So. But what's interesting about (laughs) Dot is that that is your lifelong cat's name that you Uh have like 20. Yeah, it's my cat's name. R.I.P. Dot. (laughs) AI will live forever though, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um. That is awesome. One question that I missed that I, I think is really interesting about you is the way that you met your friends in DC. You moved there like knowing nobody and 
like very quickly you had a really close knit group of friends. How did you pull that off? I would say the magic of technology. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anybody. And in Nashville, I made friends within a year or so through my church. But then I wasn't really finding a community in DC in that same way. And somebody I know, oh, so my roommate in Nashville who changed my life of her love, her name was Caroline Peoples. And she had a best friend. Her name was Brian. She ran track at Vanderbilt and she actually lived in Nashville too. And she moved to DC just a little bit before I did, like maybe a year or so. And she, I started going to church with her and she told me that she made friends in DC off Bumble BFF. And I'd never even been on a dating app, regular dating, like I'd never even met a bro. So I was like, hmm, but she swore by it. So I was like, YOLO (laughs) and downloaded Bumble BFF, met one girl, her name was Raquel and she was so cute and amazing. She ended up moving to Philly, but I think she might be back now. But anywho, she invited me to this like huge, massive, like Bumble BFF brunch. I was like, okay, sure. So I go and I literally didn't like anybody there except for this one girl sitting as in the seat that's the furthest seat away from me that could possibly be. And I ended up just being like, well, I'm just going to scream at her across the table so we can talk. (laughs) We were doing that she comes up to me after and she's like yeah so we hate everybody else and love each other right <laughs> and she was wearing like this satin pink like I'm picturing it like a pink ladies jacket satin bomber jacket and I literally was like oh yeah yeah definitely definitely hate everybody and love you and so from then on like me and her were friends and then she had this friend that she met off Facebook trying to room with her her name's Mary Kyle knows Mary <laughs> and then the only other time I ever used Bumble BFF was to meet my friend Sandra and the four of us just became like a little power squad. First night I ever met Mary, Sandra came to that. So it was like, then we just like kept hanging out. We called ourselves Swan and then Olivia fell in love with who's now still her boyfriend, Caden, and he grew up there. And so he has tons of friends there and we went to a lake house for one Labor Day weekend and became a little family with his family. They just adopted us right in. There was only one girl until we showed up. So thank God for her. And she also works at Deloitte, which is crazy. But I just got really lucky, I'd say. And I, it just all started with Bumble. (laughs) (laughs) But you did, you put yourself out there. I know a lot of people who move to new cities and they get kind of trapped by the idea of, oh, it's not working the way it has in the past. Like you didn't, find people at your specific church or your thing that you're really comfortable in. So you're not going to put yourself out there in a new way, but you did, you did something you'd never done before, even for dating a guy. And you just like said YOLO and now you have friends like, and it made an important difference in like your happiness in DC. Cause if you never put yourself out there, you probably wouldn't enjoy it as much, you know? Yeah. I'm a huge believer in Bumblebee FF now. Like it never failed me. That's actually where Kyle and I met. (laughs) It wasn't a Tinder. No. Grinder. Grinder, exactly. It wasn't grinder. But it was the Jewish grinder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so nice. I think that um that's a common theme throughout this whole conversation though, is just like YOLO. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yes. Is like, YOLO gonna make the show title? YOLO. It needs to. Hundred yeah. percent. Callie the musical consultants. How to YOLO. Or, or just, yes. But when you say it, it sounds like you're saying yellow. Well, maybe that's yellow? why it's never caught on for me. Maybe that's why I've never made any friends using that word before. 
<laughs> All right, there's Have you ever lost any friends using it? Potentially. I'm not sure. But uh <laughs> YOLO. We can we can work on that. Was that better? More more of an O less of a yellow. Okay. Uh so I have a question I wrote down here during the show, not a pre-rect one. Uh, I didn't know this whole tech side of you before this call. And yeah, I'm like the technical arm of this podcast, you could say, between Kyle and I. Uh, so what's besides Dot <laughs> and Prism, what's some of the coolest technology that you've been able to tinker with or that you didn't know existed that you just kind of got thrown into your lap and you had to figure out or implement to the world? What's one of the coolest things that's out there right now that people don't know about that you've seen or played with? That's a good question. I think some of the coolest, newest stuff I wouldn't have had my hands on. I think the coolest, newest stuff is like biometric technology, which is interesting because a lot of fear comes along with that. So Mm -hmm. like if you're able to tell if someone's paying attention by the way that their eyes are moving or by the temperature of their body, like, or the beat of their heart, like that freaks people out. They're like, I don't want you to be able to know all this about me. And I haven't been able to like play with anything cool like that. But the things that we've been focusing on recently are more efforts because of this new Mm COVID-19 situation that's happening. So they're more collaborating with each other and working together through this virtually. And that's been like mural and Mentimeter and lots of lots of different things. Obviously, we're still using Prism, but on the go instead of the big, huge walls. I think one of my favorites is nothing new. We've seen them before, literally on like Nickelodeon. But one of my little favorites is like a video conferencing robot. You can dial into uh, him and then you can use the arrows on your keyboard to like drive him around. Cutting edge stuff I haven't been able to touch, but that'd be cool. That's awesome. I have another question here that I think might be good for you. We ask this to some people sometimes and you've kind of had that curiosity coming out through your quest, your answers to our questions. So what's something that amazes you every time you think of it? This could be like a psychology thing or like just a random phenomenon. Something you're like, every time you kind of think about it, you're like, that's just mind blowing. And Claire. And Claire. Oh. <laughs> wow. It's a great answer. Yeah, she amazes me. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I've never had such a good friend and I know this is so cheesy because she's sitting right there, but that's just my answer I just thought of right now. Like, that's my first gut answer. Because I've never had a friendship like yours, AC. Thank you. And you that, amaze me. That's you great. That's the best answer so far. So that question. <laughs> Do I amaze you too, Liz? <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, I just don't know. We don't have that kind of history. You know, we're, we're building it, but. You don't have to have history to be amazed. That's true. <laughs> because you know what? You only live once. That's, 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 we'll see, we'll see you both, the two of you kind of have this, this theme, uh, where Kyle's told me that you make people cry a lot in like a good way. I've never heard that. Like, oh, I do. Yeah. Just cause like you, you meet people and you like talk to them and like, they just get comfortable around you and like go into stuff and then they start crying. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting that and I was expecting that to happen for me and it didn't happen. It's probably because I was joshing around too much the first time I met you. We were just having too much fun right off the bat. But and I, didn't, yeah. I don't think I realized how deep you are. And because like usually when I meet Kyle's friends and in the past, it's only because I've like, he's grown up around me. His friends are usually like no shade, but they're not like super deep. They just want to like 
be crazy and be goofy and whatever, but you are like a new caliber of person that is in his life. Like, and I really do think you're like some kind of like catalyst into like a new phase of Kyle's life because all the other people I've met since I've met you through him are way different than the people, which I loved all those people too. They're so funny, but I just kind of had this like preconceived notion about all these people that Kyle brings into my life that are going to be really kind of dumb and immature and like. So you had low expectations for me and I had high expectations for you. Uh, and now we're just going to meet in the middle <laughs> and get to know each other actually. And okay. I'll make you cry one day. Perfect. When, yeah, once we, once we get, yeah, once we get there, I'll, I'll have to go in and reproduce this episode talking about how Anne Claire made me cry right at the end. Perfect. Uh, that would be amazing. Cool. Well, I think one kind of good wrap up question we could get into for, is, can you do a sonic capture for us right now? Or in a few hours and we can edit it in. <laughs> if you had prepared me, I could have been trying. Or you can, you can watch the recording. In future podcast. That's a good idea. Yeah, let her sit in on it. somebody. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how that would work. Right. That's a great idea. What's your good wrap-up question? My wrap-up question is, well, it's two-parter because I know there's a good answer for this. So one, you still make music for fun, right? Or you still have music people can find because I listened to it once when we were hanging out. And two, if people want to find you, where can they find you and or your music? Instagram, or even if you don't want to be found, then we'll just publish this under a pseudonym <laughs> and just put, put, put a link to the Spotify. Yeah, I have two albums on Spotify. One is like straight out of college, kind of like country vibes, and you can just search my name for that, Callie Quarter, not 25 cents, but more like a basketball court. And then my little band that I was talking about having in Nashville we were called Moon and the Sea. So we have an acoustic EP on Spotify as well. And then my Instagram is at Callie Amanda with two A's at the end. I'll have to follow you because I don't know if I follow you yet. Or I might have followed you like the day ago to like research this. Yeah, I think you followed me a day ago because I was like, oh, hey, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> and something else that uh, we should all three encourage Callie to keep doing slash pick back up is her youtube channel which you can also find under her name kelly quarter on youtube but she if she had kept up with youtube the last couple years like me and kyle had encouraged her to she would be famous now i know that life is way too busy and crazy but i believe that is a great way for people to hear your music and see your personality and all the above i agree that's that's news to me as well so maybe that's what we can do after this Um, I saw that as a good opportunity to put the pressure on Callie. It was perfect. Perfect. Oh, God. My head just started hurting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. All these new views to my YouTube account. But uh, thank you so much, Callie, for coming on with us. This was was awesome. It's a great story. Love your attitude towards everything you talked about. Kind of that sunshine that you're pouring out. Seems like once you're able to not pour all of it into those cups of emotionally draining activities, you're able to put it to some pretty good use. So... That's some great stuff, and thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And seriously, anybody listening that's being drained by some sociopath, girl, walk away. Tell them boy bye. Perfect. You don't need that in your Perfect. life. You don't need to be a music therapist. You don't need to work at your bank. Call it quits and go do something better with your life. Alrighty, that's, that's a perfect closing thought. Thank you, Callie. <laughs> Thank you, no, thanks for having me and AC thanks for joining yeah thanks for co-hosting AC you're welcome you are so welcome I will be back anytime you want and I will be Venmo requesting you 80% of what you make from this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, you get exactly <laughs> <laughs>
Well, that wraps up our interview with Callie Quarter. Hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a rating on iTunes if you did. And subscribe for the next episode, which should be coming out in a couple of days. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.